Hey, Internet. It Did it work? I've never done it this way where I just let it go like this. It was testing. Now it says it's live. Oh, and my comment showed up that says it's starting soon. But that was supposed to be there a while ago. Good morning. I'm looking forward to this morning. I got a bunch of stuff actually lined up. I got this new mic and it's clear to me, I think there's some need for some sound diminishing in my closet that I live in, right? Uh, but the, the cool thing about the mic is that it should allow me to move around a bit more and not have it right in front of my face. The not cool thing is that the brand new arm I bought for it won't allow me to position it where I want for two different reasons. One is that it's too weak. So like I try to get it to like bend and I twist the little knobby to hold it and it goes, I can't do it, I can't do it. And I'm just like, oh, you cheap piece of junk. And then the other one is that the table, my desk in here, uh, it does not have a space to do it the, the other way so that it would be uh, the arm would come up and down, right? Uh, because the edges of the table don't allow it to latch on. <clears throat> so I'm not sure what the problem solution is to that. I don't think this sounds too bad though this morning. And I, at least I have the right mic working, which is pretty important, right? And not always something I do for the entire show. So uh, it's, it's good to have that. Uh, but I want to dig right into theology too, because I'm going to have to go right at, at around 8.30 today. Just an hour and a half from now, uh, a couple of things at church, guys, you know, Christmas is coming, that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, I want to dig right in and I, hopefully the the semi-echo, I just moved my camera. The semi-echo is not going to be too much. I mean, even if I get closer, it doesn't really fix it. And that's this is what's so frustrating. I can't get it closer. Like I could, I could bend this thing and it would come closer and then it won't hold it there. So I could have it like hit sitting right here. Golly, it's so frustrating to me that it won't do this. Watch, we're going to do it. We're going to do it live. Here we go. It's coming up. It's going to sit right here. See, that would sound so much better, wouldn't it? And then if I tighten it, I'm going to tighten it and tighten it and tighten it and tighten it. And oh, watch, watch. Oh, oh, it's kind of staying. Well, it ain't bad then. That's better than earlier. Of course, it makes me a liar on national TV. All right, we're going to see how long that stays like that. Well, that's a little bit better. It still isn't as far in as I would like it to be. But we're going to dig right in. Yeah? You ready? Good morning. Those of you who are here with me, I figured out a number of things, including... See, I don't know. I don't know. If I turn it... If I do this, is it better? I feel like that echo is just absolutely disturbing. Um, what if I did this? Does that make it better? Mm, not that like catches. What about like this? Nope. That doesn't do it either. What was it that was last week we couldn't figure out how to make it work? There was something else. Uh, it was much worse than this. Trying to remember now. I figured that out, whatever that was. Oh, how to get the screen not to completely disappear. <laughs> so I could see what I was doing while I was doing. I figured that one out. I was going right past it over and over again. So we got that fixed. Um, but today we get the, the mediocre sound from the awesome mic that is probably not the mic's fault. Probably has a lot more to do with these walls and the height of the ceiling. I don't know what I'm going to do about that. So anyhow, with that said, and if I, if I lean up, it's not as bad. I don't know, man. Ah, it's, it's driving me nuts. I can hear it. What do you think? Those of you uh, who are listening, tell me what you think about the sound because I, I do want to know. I'll try to answer one question here uh, and then come back and pick that up. So, all right. Uh, but see, I did get this thing fixed at least. At least we, at least we can immediately do this. We're going to go to this comment uh, from one of you. Oh, see? Yeah. Okay, that's good. It's all working. Um, and uh, I, I appreciate it. This is a positive comment, and, but there's one thing in it and and you got you got snarky fun and i'm okay with it because it was all in good nature like there's nothing angry about this right uh and yet i, I, <laughs> I know but we disagree <laughs> 
I mean, it, we really got to get to that point at some point, uh, Reformed. Like, it's okay that we disagree. It's wrong. It's part of our sinful condition. We don't want to stay in this position if we can reconcile. But, like, you're not going to get me to stop thinking what I think about you, the Reformed. Now, on this particular point, I know there are some Lutherans who don't have enough um, caliber in their shotgun to um, to realize that when you say this, uh, it's, it's we're giving something up if we let you have it. And so that's what I'm going to try to do right now. I'm going to do it as friendly as I can, right? Because the goal here is reconciliation, not division. All right. So um, thank you, though, for watching. And, you know, as you say, you know, I love your stuff. Uh, I appreciate what you do. Seriously, I was if I wasn't a member of my church, Grace Bible Church Rolla, already I'd probably grip my teeth <laughs> and plunge into Emmanuel Lutheran and Rolla. Uh, that's a different subject. It is a different subject. I'd be curious if you what would happen if you just chatted with the pastor there for fun, for coffee. Take him out for a beer. Non-Lutheran, obviously. I have an outside view of the whole culture thing. I was just catching up on SMC. You guys have been calling it SMC. That's great. Saturday morning chill. Cool. All right. Um, and you keep mentioning the Reformed. In the next sentence, almost, you say how words change and we should be missionaries to the younger generation. This isn't something unique to you. I go to a Bible college, study at Emmanuel Lutheran, because the Evangelii one is full of nar heresy, which is crazy sad. Um and the pastor says the same thing. Uh, it's y'all's vocabulary. You know, you're saying the, the other pastor says this. He says the Reformed equals Methodist, right? And I love this. I love this. Bro. Dude, if you're going to write that, you you got to write it B-R-U-H. Bruh. It's got to be bruh. Can't be bro. Bruh. <laughs> um, we ain't Methodists. Well, some of you aren't. This is true. Okay, we'll come back to this. Uh, we categorically deny any form of decision theology, revivalism, etc. Who's we? You mean the Reformed. Okay, cool. Where is that written? Where is it written in a way that is clearly defined and where all the Reformed agree? Because I've never been shown where that is. Now, don't get me wrong. You can tell me what you think. And as soon as I believe, I'm not kidding about this. I've been down this road. As soon as I believe that what you're saying is what defines Reformed, and I go on video and I say, reformed this i'll get an email like this maybe meaner from someone else who says you don't understand the reformed so i've stopped trying to figure out the magical version of reformed like i get it you what you want to mean is calvinist right you want to mean like like true calvinists not protestant doing weird stuff got it makes sense to me okay totally makes sense i understand why you want to do that however you get reformed baptists well, I ain't reformed. Not really. <laughs> you know, I mean, which is it, right? The, the split is so great that at a certain point, as an outsider to this movement, I have to begin to say, what's the real driving factor of the whole thing? What really makes the reformed, i.e. Calvinist, distinct from the Reformation, <laughs> i.e. Lutheran, i.e. Augsburg? And then, if you hold that in common, even with the Methodists, then you are Methodists at least in fellowship. And that's where we're going to go here in a moment with my point. So so we categorically denied decision theology. That's great. Good for you. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That's It's fantastic that you do that. You should do that. Oh, look, I can't scroll. Hold on. Um, duh, 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 duh. Uh, we deny any form of decision. Oh, you did that. Uh, everywhere outside the bubble of the LCMS, reform equals Calvinist. Uh, yeah, every time, everywhere, people use words in different ways. It's kind of my point, right? Like, what does it mean to who? And so it's a derogatory term within its own movement. 
for those who hold to the official beginnings of the movement. And I'll give you that, right? So, so amongst those who have been started by the Reformed Reformation, <laughs> uh, the Reformed is now a dirty word, just like conservative is a dirty word uh, within various Lutheran groups, right? Or confessional or liturgical, uh, those guys, right? So, so sure, confessional equals stodgy Lutherans in Wyoming or something, right? Hi, guys. Um, I'm one too, kind of, usually. Uh, uh, and, and reformed equals those Calvinists among the Methodists, right? Or, or among the, well, I'm going to come to it. Among the what? Among the what? What's the defining factor? What makes fellowship fellowship? Uh, usually, yeah, confessional either, see, here's your problem, either 1646 Westminster or 1689 Second London Baptist. Yeah, like that's your choice. But then I think there's a third one that gets thrown in and some guys deny some of them entirely and say they don't count. And that's where I, I can't play that rat race anymore. Uh, I, and, and if you want to say that's like the Missouri Synod versus the ELCA, fine. That's fine, right? If that's how you see it. I'm talking Book of Concord 1580. Like, that's it. That's it. That's, that's where we were, right? That's what we are. This is discrepant. Uh, it's difficult to hold on to. And frankly, there's a freedom within it to take or leave parts of it. And that's part of the issue itself as well. Uh, so Reformed Churches, LCMS are battling for the same team. I completely agree that the Calvinists among us, and I'd rather you called yourself a Calvinist at that point. If I got to call myself a Lutheran, you should call yourself a Calvinist. The Calvinists are batting for the same team, i.e. the Holy Catholic Church, although so is Rome. Uh, <laughs> uh, and in what way are we batting? And in what way are we batting for the other team? That's kind of the issue too. But I completely agree with you in the, in the culture understanding, in the understanding of grace, in the understanding of scripture alone. We're on the same team. We are not We're not enemies, although we are vying for the starting position, and we're vying for the starting position based upon actually being able to play the game. Yeah? And I think it's better that we acknowledge that. I think we're going to have more unity being really upfront about that and not being jerks. <coughs> Excuse me. As I cough into the echoing microphone. And, and not being jerks than pretending that that division isn't there. Because pretending the division isn't there is what happened last century. And you see what's going on, right? So I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, there aren't many Orthodox denominations left. See, I would not call you Orthodox. I would call you heterodox. You would, you should call me heterodox, right? Uh, but you're right. There aren't very many wanting to be Orthodox heterodox de denominations left. The LCMS has more in common with the PCA than either of you will admit. What are you talking about? I admit that all the time. Uh, not, not maybe not all the time. It's not like a, it's like a priority of mine to go on every video and be like, "Hey, the PCA and us like this," <laughs> right? Uh, but no, absolutely. If there is a Protestant body that that we conservative Lutherans have something in common with and can converse with in this world, it is the PCA. I played soccer against you guys in seminary. I had like beer discussions with you guys in seminary. Yeah, there's a lot we have in common. Completely understand and agree on that. Whitehorse in man, you go right? Do it. Um, so don't tell me that I won't admit it. I completely want to admit it. What I'm not going to do is pretend that we don't have a disconnect that is so big as to be uh, church shattering. Church shattering, okay? Now, this division that is church shattering, at the core of it, is an insistence by the Reformed that it's not church shattering. So before I even talk anymore, you just, you just got to get like, it, it's like, I'll use us as an example here. It was about eight years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. 
we had a synodical convention. These things happen every three years. We got to vote the president into presidency, and it's usually a big fight because we're all about political power to control the machine because we think that's where our mission's going to happen, and it's all whatever. We do it. It's nonsense, I think, in some senses, but we do it. And there was a motion on the floor to affirm our unity. And the Missouri Senate affirmed our unity by a vote of 51 to 49%. And then we just went on with the convention. We're unified. There you go. 51% 51 of us insist we're unified. There's no problems here. So that is the approach that I feel, see, experience, the actual reformed, as you define them, taking to the division between you and me, you and us, Lutherans. The, the, the conservative reformation, as I would call us, and I would call you the radical reformation. There's a whole book about this thick on that if you want to dig into it. Um, I'm losing his name. Uh, 1800s uh, East Coast Lutheran. Come on, Jonathan. Anyway, I'll point it to you if you want me to. Uh, so, conservative reformation in his theology is the name of the book. Um, so, the, the, yes, we have a lot in common, but no, we don't have as much in common as you think. And Certainly, we have more in common with each other than the ELCA or the PCUSA. To be sure, what does light have in fellowship with darkness, right? And, and so I wouldn't call you darkness at all. We're, we're batting for the same team. I just think you're trying to bat without your arms. And you should think I'm trying to bat with somebody else's arms or without my arms, right? And if we can't have that discussion, then there's no playing for the same team. If you don't tell the guy, no offense, I understand paraplegic is a real thing. And so I'm not trying to be snarky about real pain. But if you don't tell, you know, your batter that he's not holding the bat, well, then you're going to lose, right? Uh, and if you're telling the batter that he's swinging at the wrong fence, if you don't tell him that, well, then you're going to lose. So, so we have to be able, if we're on the same team, to call each other out and really acknowledge where the discrepancy lies, right? Um, so in love, I, I get it. I'm, I, this is in love too. Uh, uh, wishing I could have said more, it more encouragingly. Hey, don't worry about it. Uh, even jelly fish land and Bethel Baptist wackadoodles ain't reformed. Um, yes, they are. Why? How can I say this? How can I be so... In fact, this came up. I, I was looking for this video that I did on this years ago. I think I found it. But it may not have been that one. But it certainly came up. Someone left a, a, a lovely comment about how sanctimonious I was. This, I, I really appreciate that when you tell me I'm sanctimonious. Uh, thank you. Because there's nothing sanctimonious about calling somebody sanctimonious. Not even a touch. It's so humble. Yeah? Uh, <laughs> but it, this is how it's heard, though. And, I, and so I get this. So whenever I try to, to talk with you reformed, whom I love, the PCA, the conservative guys, that we have a lot in common. In fact, I'll even give you this one. I came back into Christianity through a PCA church. And the pre preaching of the word, the text of scripture in a PCA church, I am grateful for the Presbyterian Church in America and for Calvinists proclaiming Jesus' resurrection and grace and faith. Okay? I'm not going to pretend that the division isn't so big that I cannot commune with you and you can and will and do commune with Evangelifish, Bethel Bapticostal wackadoodles. And your theology says you have to, to some extent. Your theology is where they came from. The unity of the church resides from and in 
Jesus Christ, right? Which means that when you are going to commune in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, you are unified with them in all that they preach, teach, and do. Now, on a singular level, this breaks down super fast. The practice of real communion fellowship is painful and flawed and broken. Ask any Missouri City pastor who's trying to practice close communion, and it's, it's, it's impossible. But at the same time, the theology of our unity in the body is there. And so when officially at the highest levels, you are saying, we have enough in common to commune, it means you don't see anything wrong with what they're saying publicly at least in terms of baptism, right? in terms of how the Holy Spirit works. And I would even go so far as to say that their views of those things, how the Holy Spirit works, is an outflow of the Calvinist teaching on the supper. Or, well, Zwingli, really, right? So, so here's, here's the deal, right? I consider Reformed to be sacramentarian. Sacramentarian means... That however Jesus may or may not be present in the practice of the Lord's Supper, he's certainly not going in your mouth as bread. He's certainly not going in your stomach as bread. He is in heaven, right? And so he cannot also be here. And he has a human body in heaven, unable to be here and in heaven at the same time, and unable to be therefore bread as well. Clearly, he was in the upper room and he handed them bread and he was sitting right there. It couldn't be him. I've heard it all. I get it. That's your that's your position. Cool. Math is wrong, but 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 cool, right? Reformed equals sacramentarian. Our term for that, sacramentarian. You call it what you want. Faithful Christian to the supper, not being Jesus. Whatever you want to call it, okay? That's reformed. And everything else that gets taught after that flows from that. Everything. So you want to like have that and not have the ramifications of wackadoodle. Wackadoodle, find the Spirit somebody somewhere else. But you can't, because the only place to find the Spirit is in word and sacrament. And you don't have one of them. You've said it's not really there. It's just bread. And it's a spiritual feeling somewhere. And it gets boring. And it's not enough. And people go searching for more. Now, can, can, can anybody can make a heresy. You're right about this, right? Anybody can make a heresy. Anybody can deny. Anybody can, can shift off. But when the heresy comes as a direct result of the lack of the answer of orthodoxy in that place, I don't think you're free to say it's not connected. It's When it's connected, it's connected. So every single Protestant error flows from a denial of this is my body. Every modern one. If that really upsets you, I'm sorry. I just wrote a book about it. It'll come out in February. It's the premise of the entire book. Uh, that once you take away is, what do you got left? You want to sit here and argue about 24-hour days. Or you want to sit here and argue about how you take revelation literally. But you don't take is literally. In the most grave moment of Jesus' life. So, if Reformed equals sacramentarian, because that's what it is, that's why Zwingli and Luther did not shake hands. That's it. That was the only point at that point. Only point of departure. That's the defining moment, the defining theology, the defining knowledge of God is that he's not in the supper, he's somewhere else. He's kind of here, but not really, right? As opposed to, no, no, he's like, he's like here. Like, you can't stop it from being him. Unfaithful people eat him too, right? 
he goes in the mouth of the Buddhist if you give it to him, to his judgment. Because Reformed equals sacramentarian, therefore Methodists are Reformed. They're sacramentarians. Any sacramentarian is the long edge of the Reformed heresy. Or I should say heterodoxy to be nice, right? You should talk, I mean, I, you know what I mean. I'm not, I'm not trying to say you're not a Christian. So, you, you see what I'm saying here? I don't, you might not have to like it. You do not have to like it. But remember what I said before. That's not a big deal. Like I, I'm, I, I've heard that from, from Calvinists before. It's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. Well, okay. When your wife tells you it's a big deal, and you say it's not that big a deal, and she's like, it is a big deal. I'm leaving. And she goes and shuts the door. Is it a big deal or not? Well, I don't think so. Well, it doesn't matter if you don't think so. What's reality say? So, so when you're in a dialogue with somebody, you have to trust that what they believe is what they believe. And this is the very rock heart beating center of Christianity for the conservative reformation for the Lutherans. Rock heart beating center. So we have more in common with each other than the PCUSA, but we're not as close as you think. Dude, According to the theology of Calvin, I am an idolater who worships bread and wine, and I freely admit that. I adore the bread and wine, which are one with my Lord Jesus, by virtue of the genus maestaticum, and by virtue of the assumption of that bread and wine into the divinity that is the person of Jesus Christ, I sing, Lamb of God. You take away the sin of the world. I sing it to Jesus, who is, at that moment, bread and wine, who soon will become one with me in flesh and blood. It's, it's night and day, man. It's night and day. And I'm not saying you don't have Jesus, except for that you don't in the supper. <laughs> yeah, You just have heard of him. And, and that hearing of him has indeed... Uh, that hearing of him has indeed awakened faith in your heart. Yeah, saving faith. Saving faith, which then hears Jesus say, this is my body, and which says to Jesus, no, Lord, it shall never be. And then get behind me, Satan. Well, when does that word come? Our Lord is merciful. He would prefer not to destroy. And he certainly allows the heterodox to be felicitously inconsistent, trusting in him in spite of their many errors. And, I, you know, personally, I probably got some too. But I'm not going to stop believing that the sacramentarians are all of one feather. You are. You are. You're all of one feather in your Christology before anything else. And that Christology is why you can't acknowledge the words of Jesus. And it's, it's, the, it's the plague and heresy of modern thought to some extent, of, of rationalism. That's, that's a big part of it, but it's not all of it. And because of that slight divergence from the word is... Everything else is given a, a argument. Everything else is allowed to be argued once you take away is. And that now, now you can argue against the flood and Jonah being literal and, and 24 hour days because, you know, a day is like a thousand years. I mean, no, it, day doesn't have to mean day. It doesn't mean is. And nobody maybe made the argument like that, but it's the, it's the culture of Bible reading that accepted you could argue in that way that got us where, where you are. Now, Missouri Synod hardly has defended ourselves from this. We're as, we're as blighted as, as anyone else, anybody else trying to cling to their roots and failing in our, in our dying age. Uh, so uh, what's the answer? The answer is to flee back 
to the text to flee back to those initial confessions. So I'd say pick one, 1646 or, or 1689, pick one. Which one's right? If one's Baptist, can't be right. Sorry. <laughs> God bless you, Baptists. You love your Bible so much that when we talk about it, you don't want to face the text and you change the topic. Conservative Baptists, the best of you. It's like it's like I talk to you, and then we I, we get to that point where I'm like I'm like look and see, and then hear, and then text and answer, and you get this moment, and you go ah, and you change it, and you just you won't put the two and two together. I love you, you're Christians, you're Christians, but um, ah, if we could just learn to actually love our Bibles and what it said, and that goes for us Lutherans too. So hey, thank you for this email. Yeah, uh, the Reformed equals Methodist. No, the Reformed equals Sacramentarian. That's what we mean when we say it. So you're misunderstanding what we're saying. The Reformed equals Sacramentarian. And right now, the Calvinist Sacramentarians, you guys are getting your your, your butts handed to you on the court of Protestantism, right? I mean, you're just not winning. And, and I, I'm not saying that like we're not the losers over here. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, in the, we're in the toilet bowl game, right? Uh, but, but, I get it. So you feel like you're being uh, non-acknowledged on the court. Yeah? Uh, but <clears throat> while it's, it, it is true that you do have distinctions from these other teams, you're, you're playing in the same league as them. And, and while we're in the toilet bowl, we're technically in a different league entirely. Uh, and I would say it's the, the real league. Uh, and you're in, you're in the bush. Um, I'm not in a bush. That's what I want to say. It. What you are in is you're just in a different, um, different sport. In some ways. Ah, the, the analogy really breaks down there. It doesn't work. So don't don't take that too seriously. The point being, sacramentarian equals reformed. Reformed equals sacramentarian. When we say that, that's what we mean. So you can't get too mad about it if you're not going to reckon with our understanding of the Lord's Supper and how it completely divides us from you, like night and day. Which is why we won't commune with you, and why you why you will commune with the wackadoodles. Yeah. So, um, wrestle with that thought. Okay. I asked about my microphone. It's driving me crazy. I can hear this echo, man. How, how's the microphone? You sound fine. You don't hear this echo. I hear an echo, uh, hand tighten thing with a nut and screw and tighten it with a wrench. That's probably a good point. Darth, Darth Mick. Um, sounds great to you. Okay. Well, that's good. I just, I hear, see this, this would be so much better like this, right? Oh, it's, it's a pretty sound, but it should really be able to do that from here without, I just have to get the echo away. Um, so, uh, reform tense as big as the, uh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just some responses here. Uh, reform tent is as big as the Roman tent completely agree. Uh, and frankly, the Lutherans all too often are in the Reformed tent. We really should be our own tent, just like the East are their own tent. Four major communions in the world, the Anglican, <laughs> which all the Reformed are part of because they'll commune with them. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the actual conservative closed communion practicing Lutherans. And if you don't practice closed communion, then you're in the other tent. Uh, but if, if you're practicing closed communion, you're technically in this tent, the Roman tent, which includes, uh, you know, Eastern Rite Catholics and whatnot. But if you'll, if you'll commune with the Pope, uh, then you're in that one. And then you have the Eastern churches. Uh, if you'll commune with the Eastern Orthodox, then you're in that one. And th those are it. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, like Mar Thomas, some of the, the Far East, I'm pretty sure they'll commune with the Eastern Orthodox. So uh, there may be a fifth out there in India, right? Um, but like ancient style. Um, but uh, th those, those four really categorize all of us and 
I mean, if you don't think the Lord's Supper is a big deal, then you're going to you're going to not acknowledge that this is the definition of who you are as a Christian. <laughs> uh, but for the rest of Christianity, the other three groups, this is the definition of who you are as a Christian. And so you're like telling us it's not a big deal. It's like, well, you know, okay, you keep communing with them then and then keep telling us that you're not who you are. And we're going to be like, well, I mean, the guy's kind of, he won't listen. What are we going to do? Yeah. You uh, can't have a conversation until we understand the field we're playing on. Yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. So, uh, is there a way to like the video from the YouTube app? I have no idea. This is the same commenter, but I, um, I don't know. Talking uh, to a friend about this last night. How can the finite man contain the infinite God, but the finite bread cannot? Well, they, they actually don't say the finite man contains the infinite God, uh, from my understanding. Like, like your lay reform person might say, oh, that sounds right. But I think in the actual, uh, the deep dogma, there is a, the Lutherans, uh, Chemnitz called it, oh, what was it? He made up a term to make fun of it. Like, they don't have a term for it, but they, they will kind of uh, speak in that direction. What was the term? Uh, it was, oh, it was, it, it was like, it was like a lat. you know how in Roadrunner, like they'll be like, you know, fastest Maximus or whatever like that. So it was like that. It was like a Latin term for the, like the, the not as part of God Jesus must, or no, not as Jesus God must kind of thing. I can't remember the term though, but he, he was like snarky about it in his uh, Two Natures of Christ. Cause it's like, well, y y when you deny the gainus myostaticum, the, the ability of the Godhead to take mankind into him without ceasing to be God, but without failing to be fully God in man, so that man is fully God in all the godness that can be, uh, then you end up with this part of G the Son of God who's not in Jesus. Yeah, um, And so their Christology breaks down. Chalcedon is, is their issue at the end of the day. Chalcedon is their issue. But I, I would say that flows from the, the modernist belief in reason, uh, belief in logic, think the, the idea that we can understand God, uh, which is where the is falls apart. So in 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 boasting of our ability to understand, we become fools, right? In believing that we can know through our own mind, we reject what God has clearly said with the word that made the mind in the first place. Uh, and this is Adam, right? This goes all the way back to Adam, but is also entrenched in Reformed theology with the word is. And by Reformed, I mean sacramentary. I know I'm so snarky and full of myself. That's what. That's why I'm doing this is my arrogance. You're right. So just don't listen. Turn it off. You're fine. Uh, I'm wrong. Uh, cool shirt. Yes. It's been in the process. And my, my, my young buddy, uh, uh, Mike Rolando Jr. I got two young guys who help me out here. They, uh, we, we, you know, they're, I'm training them in liturgy and, uh, this is still driving me crazy. I'm training them in liturgy and, uh, uh, they, we're paying them a little bit to help around the church. And so I, there were projects that I hadn't been getting done and the, the primary project that I had not gotten done was shirts and stickers and Mike's gotten it all done. So these came out like two weeks ago. We were just starting to sell them to the, the congregation just now. The sweatshirts are flying off the shelves. They're just like these only, uh, sweatshirt. They're made by a local, uh, a local, that still is wrong microphone. Um, they're made by a local, how can I do this? Can I, can I possibly make it closer to my body? I don't think so. They're made, and I have to lean down like this. They're made by a local, um, uh, t-shirt shop called Rockford Art Deli, which is like, like all the rage. They have all this 815 area code stuff that they do. And so we got that done here. Um, and, uh, so this is our logo as a congregation that also got done this last year. And what I really like about it 
It's, it, it looks like the Cairo right away. So you saw that right away. I've had a few members be like, what is that? Does that represent us? I don't know what that is. I'm like, ah, <laughs> you have to know. Um, but uh, branding is like that. You got to get it out there, teach it, and then eventually it'll stick. Um, so, but it's not just the Cairo. So if you look close at it, you'll see that the Cairo is made up of three different elements, really four, but, but so the spikes, the, the nails, it's pretty easy. You can do the math on that one, right? That the nails that went into Christ, right? And you kind of have a spike here as well that would be a third nail, perhaps the spear that goes into his side. But with the spear spike that goes into his side, you also have a snake on it. So you have the snake on a pole at the heart of the Cairo. And then if you flipped it upside down, the snake on the pole, that looks an awful lot like a sword, right? Like a rapier. So you have the sword of the spirit as well. So the Cairo is Christ crucified, lifted up for all mankind to see, out of whose mouth comes the sword of the spirit. Uh, and you got baptism in the supper, of course, represented right there. Standing firm in Rockford. Um, it doesn't say since 1888, but since 1888, uh, we got that in some places. So thank you. And uh, I'm excited about the shirts too. That's why I wore it today. Um, so, all right, let's head over to uh, this one. Um can you talk about the statement, Christianity is not a religion? It is not a religion. It is a relationship. Um, sure, I can definitely talk about that if I could stop thinking about this microphone. It's not the microphone. That's the stand. And then, like, I don't really want to glue, like, um, oh, can you stay? Will you stay? Watch, there it goes. Oh, oh well, that's a little better. I don't really want to glue, like, uh, what do you call it, um, foam rubber on my entire closet wall, but I think that's what I'm going to have to do. Because then I could turn this up, and it would only be picking up me, rather than, like, if I talk this way, it gets worse, right? Yeah, it's, it's, see, and so it's catching sound and throwing it back at it, so it's, it's, it's a good mic, and that's the problem. Um, so, uh, can I talk about this statement, Christianity is not a... Religion, it's a relationship. Hold on. I'm going to try to do this super fast. If I do that, and then I come over here. Let's see. If I do this, can I do this? Uh, no. This? There? Okay. Uh, maybe. This is kind of, oh, there it goes. Come on. Like that. And then add. Um, well, that kind of worked. Like that. And then I can come back here. And then I can go to, where is it? Right there, come on, there, all the way down there. No, it's not there, where is it? Oh, it didn't work. Uh, try it again, paste. How do I get the color to be white? There it is, add. That way, you can continue knowing what I'm talking about. Can you talk about this statement? Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship. Um, sure. I did before. You can Google the video in which I try to respond to a guy named Jefferson Bethke. He's fairly well known at this point. Uh, he got, he got famous out of this video on, uh, Jesus. It's not, I think it might be Jesus hates religion. I mean, it, it, it was clickbait in a sense, very clever of him, um, to figure out, you know, how primed the culture was for, for like a hate religion moment. And, uh, he tried really hard to be against legalism. But then in the end of it, he ended up being fairly legalistic uh, and, and religious <laughs> uh, while denying the ability to use the term religion. 
Uh, and my video responding to him is a little odd because I was young and snarky too. And, you know, so his thing was all about rapping kind of spoken word poetry. And I didn't think it was that great. You know, God bless him. If you ever watch this, Jefferson, I'm a jerk. So just ignore me. Uh, but I, I don't think your poetry is, is as good as you think it is or it wasn't back then. And so, you know, off the cuff, I, I freestyle rapped an answer, a 20 minute answer um, uh, to it. And and that's probably, uh, going back and watching the contradistinction, the ju the, the juxtaposition uh, of his video and mine back and forth is maybe the best answer you're gonna get to this. Um, I'd completely forgotten about it and, and to some extent was, um, uh, uh, I'm embarrassed by the rapping. Uh, but then I was forced to see it at a Higher Things thing uh, this last summer because somebody used his video uh, in in the plenary, and then uh, nobody knew about the response, so I showed it before my uh, uh, my breakout, and it was amazed how well it stood the test of time, the the jokes and the and the and the snarky editing and all that. So, um, so you might want to just Google that. I think it's um, I think it's called Jesus Equals Religion, but if you Google World the Everlasting Jefferson Bethke, you should be able to find it. Maybe someone will put it in the links. Um, so, but but I'll I'll still try to talk about it now. So the issue here. Oh, like so many issues. It is so about our words. What language are we speaking? What language are we speaking? Are we speaking English? Or are we speaking the pretend fancy made up religious Christian English that nobody else uses? A lot of times that's what we're doing. We're using the pretend fancy Christian English that nobody else uses where we redefine the terms to mean something that we think they are and that we believe that they are, but nobody else knows what we're talking about when we do it. And then we get angry at those terms and we fight about them. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't real theological fights. There are. But I think a lot of times we get caught up in the English as opposed to the actual idea. So most people who are going to like be like, yeah, Christianity isn't a religion. What they're, what they're hating on uh, is English. And they're also probably hating on the legalism they grew up in and are now about to advocate. <laughs> just by changing the word. So when they change it from religion to relationship, they're not going to change anything. They're not going to change anything. I've talked about this before too, right? So, so I, I know I've talked about this, just like recently. Uh, I had to read a book years ago called like the missionary genius or the apostolic genius or something like that. I was, you know, and once you figure once you read this book, you're going to know how to do missionary. It'll always work. I think it was like this thick. It was like, it was like a physics textbook. The guy spent so much time dissecting the Bible in all the wrong ways. And the big takeaway was that we've spent too much time trying to grow community and we need to grow instead communitas. So we made up a word to change and say community is not what the church is about. It's about communitas. But communitas, when he defined it, was effectively community. All the while revolving around the word fellowship, koinonia, which is about the Lord's Supper. Hey, sacramentarians, have we talked this morning? And he ignored it. He ignored the Lord's Supper. And, and instead thought the answer was to just redefine community, not meaning-wise. He didn't redefine the meaning. He just used a new word to talk about the old meaning. And that's what this sentence is normally doing. It means that I don't like using the word religion to describe my legalism because it makes me feel bad. But if I use the word relationship, I think the legalism will work this time. That's what it means. I'm sorry. Throw, throw, throw tomatoes at your screen. Go ahead. I'm here. I'll take it. I'll smile. Hit. Can you hit me? Ah! Ah! Yeah. Um, that's what it means. And so for me to sit here and try to say all the things that are wrong with the sentence, because there's things that are wrong with the sentence. 
is while not not taking into account that problem that you're really arguing against English in a thought that by changing the meaning of English you're going to save yourself somehow rather than by letting the English be the English and ask yourself what saves me according to the word of God does the religion of Jesus Christ save you? Yes. Does a relationship with Jesus Christ save you? Yes. You cannot have a religion that belongs to Jesus that he gives you without a relationship with Jesus. And you cannot have a relationship with Jesus without the religion that he gives you. Well, I'm spiritual, not religious. Say we go that direction too. Okay, you cannot have the Holy Spirit without the religion of Jesus. And the religion of Jesus is the one that gives you the Holy Spirit. You're not arguing about the Christianity. You're dividing the Christianity by arguing about the dictionary of English with words you like and don't like. They probably have more to do with the history and structure of the English language. I know it bores you to tears, but probably has more to do with that than anything else because your theology doesn't change. The sacramentarians never repent of the sacramentarianism. The legalists never repent of the legalism. <laughs> and And... The Lutherans always are giving up their theology and trying to do everything else. <laughs> you know, trying to trying to be what we're not, so we can cling to like a you know um, catch the wind in a bottle. So, Christianity is a religion, and it is a relationship. Your relationship, however, is perhaps different than most of the uh, what was the wackadoodles. Uh, what was oh, what was the word we were saying earlier instead of uh, bat poo? Yeah, the bat poo wackadoodles. That should be the title of like my book, bat poo wackadoodles. The bat poo wackadoodles want to define relationship, which is going to be legalistic. Make no mistake, it is a law like you've never tried to keep in your life. It's worse than the Ten Commandments. Far more difficult. They define relationship. Not as English would mean it, but as, like, boyfriend would mean it. So, so there are more than one kind of relationship, right? Relationship does not only mean intimate, romantic, sexually connected, emotionally dripping reality, right? It's not the only meaning of the word. I have a relationship with the IRS. Don't really like it, but I have it. I have to deal with it, right? You don't have to like the Donald, but you have a relationship with him. You have a relationship with your police officers and your mayor. You have a relationship with your postman. You have a relationship with your neighbors. You have a relationship with your wife or your husband or your mother or father or kids. Those are all relationships. Relationship means that you are connected to them in some way. So, of course, Christianity is a relationship to Jesus. Duh! Let's like, like, can you, can you... <laughs> It's, it's such a non sequitur to try to say otherwise and make a joke about it. I can't even do it, okay? There is no analogy to describe the nonsense of someone who say that Christianity is not a relationship with Jesus. Like, who are you arguing against? Who says it's not a relationship with Jesus? But you don't mean relationship. What you mean is a new law that you must keep of feeling God at every moment of the day, which is not really a new law, by the way. I should say this too. It's not. It's the first commandment, which is a good commandment. But the thing is, you want to make this commandment not about faith, but about how you feel. 
that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all the time, every day. And there will always be a beneficial result to it, unpromised in the scriptures, outside of perhaps to ancient Israel in their old covenant, which they did not keep and which got them destroyed. as a picture of the devil's destruction and God's saving of you from it. You want to try to live in that old law where loving God's a work. You have to do. You get stuff for doing it. That's what you mean by relationship. Yeah, that sucks. That's a crappy religion. <laughs> that is a terrible religion. I don't want that religion. I want the religion of Jesus, which is the one of grace and promise and mercy. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That doesn't mean I don't want religion. It means I want mercy. It doesn't mean I don't want a relationship. It means I want to be the one who gives in the relationship. Not me, Jesus. I want to be the giver. The relationship which Christianity as a religion gives, by definition, Christianity as a religion is, by definition, promises, not laws. Promises. There are laws. But even the laws end up being promises on the last day. So, so it's promises. It's the God who makes by speaking, not the God who gets by speaking. He doesn't, he doesn't say things to get things. He says things to make things. The religion of promises that flow from the mouth of Jesus institute a relationship of grace, mercy, and giving to you. That relationship is awesome. That relationship is not the relationship of loving the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and mind, being something that I should expect to bring beneficial moments of every day and good emotions all the time. See, cut off the false edge of the if-then promise and keep it with loving the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and mind is the promise that I received by faith. That when things don't go the way they should, when they don't look the way they should, when they don't feel the way they should, when it's all going to destroy me, yea, though they take my life, good fame, child and wife, though these all be gone. The promise is still there that God has not abandoned his relationship with me. That the king is on the throne, ascended on high, and by virtue of actual flesh and blood connection to me, I am one with his body, and yea, though I die, yet I will live. That relationship's awesome. And it's a pretty, I'm not going to use the word. How do you emphasize things in English these days without using words that you're not supposed to use in church? Because all the emphasis words that the whole world's doing right now there are the bad ones. It's a pretty friggin' awesome religion. It is an amazingly badass religion. You can't die, man. You can't die. Because it's a promise. You can't die. Nothing breaks you. I feel broken, yeah. I'm not. That's when I'm strongest. When I'm weak, then I am strong. It's, it's the same issue. Everyone wants to take when I'm weak, then I'm strong and turn it into... When I am weak, I will love Jesus, and then I will have strength and do things and get benefit from it. That's not what it means. It means when you are weak and have no strength, God is strong in your place, and all you have is faith alone. You know that, that thing reformed? Faith alone? Yeah, that thing? All you have is faith alone, and that is the strength. The strength is the weakness. The wisdom is the foolishness. God's Foolishness is wiser than us. God's weakness is stronger than us. That doesn't mean it comes and acts like us. It's the opposite. 
It beats us by not doing it. It takes the things that are not and makes them the things that are. Oh man, it's marvelous. It's mysterious. Reason cannot comprehend this. No mind can conceive of this, nor can your heart truly feel it. But it certainly will inspire you to have a feeling here or there. And it'll give you a thought, which is, Lord, have mercy on me. You are majestic. Why did the early church spend so much time arguing about the Trinity? We're like, oh, it's a side issue. No, it's not. It was the majesty of the mystery of a God who could not be comprehended. Right? So to be free to bow down and just have joy in the presence of the God who cannot be comprehended in the midst of the suffering of the present age, because we know that these trials are not worth comparing to what's going to be revealed when our bodies wake up from the dead. That faith that's already awake, hmm, that faith that is already awake, is a result of the religion, which is Jesus relating himself to you by saying, take and eat. Oh, wait, see how it all breaks down right there if you're reformed? How, where, my relationship with Jesus is in the bread of wine. That's how I know. I'm unbaptized too. I trust that one pretty heavily. And, and the word clearly is important. And the word says, here's the bread of wine. I relate to you. Take and eat. I relate to you in a intimate way that frankly won't give you any feelings. Except it's not that tasty. You walk away, I mean, it's not like, ooh, I got a, I got a jolt there. It's not like you drink a, you know, um, oh, what do they call it? I can't even think of it now. The nitro, nitro at Starbucks. Uh, no, no, but you're related to him now by blood. <laughs> Jesus is my relationship by blood. How's that one? Christianity is a religion of having a relationship to Jesus by blood. It's the one table you want to go to at the holidays, right? Oh, is it? Should be. Did I help or did I hinder? That's the question I have for you. Now, my energy can be mistaken as anger. And it's not. It's not. I'm just zealous. Thank you, my love. She brought me tea. Uh, so, that was fun. Uh, let's see here. Uh, there we go. Faith alone. Yes, that was the point of my book, Echo. Thank you, Reformed Christian. Faith alone is very much there. By the way, starting... I want you to order, pre-order my, my new book, Without Flesh, now. But I believe it's starting January 2nd. You will be able to get a discount on Echo when you order Without Flesh. So if you've been thinking about getting Echo or you're thinking about getting Without Flesh, I hate to say don't order it now. It doesn't help me. <laughs> but it'll help you if I say it. Uh, and in January, uh, it'll be in, in particular places. Uh, newsletter for sure. It'll come out every week. Uh, but also be saying it here from time to time. Uh, you can get a deal on, on Echo. So uh, keep that in mind if you haven't read Echo yet. It is the better, the best book I've ever written um, Word Without Flesh might compete, but it's just not, it, it's, it's hitting our time and Echo is forever. Echo is totally forever. Um, bah, 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 bah. this has got to be a clip. I would agree with you. So if Brian's watching, he should grab, actually both, both the first, I mean, those were, those were old school Wii TV style right there, man. Yeah. Um, tacos and spaghetti. I don't know why, but well, um, that's a thing. And, uh, what is your opinion on Zelda? Oh wait, we've done that before. What is your opinion on violent games such as Mortal Kombat or games that support immoral behavior? And how do you decide which games are, for lack of a better word, good? Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. We've done this before. Mm. 
The trick with all this stuff is that you're not allowed to make a final law that God hasn't made. And at some point you have to live in the freedom to stand upon the grace of the gospel and see the ruin of the broken law around you and not believe you can escape it by keeping laws. This is not to say that what you see is not so evil you would not flee from it. But if you think you will escape the evil by fleeing from it, you will only find the greater evil lies within you. You only find the greater evil where you have gone to perfectly keep yourself from the evil. You will find that you are, well, you, you may not find it, you will be the evil. Now, that's where that, that, the legalism that destroys people and makes them say, I hate religion, is the one that makes laws about which video games you can play. So, um, it has a lot to do with your conscience. It has a lot to do with your conscience because your conscience is an insight into your vocation, which can, to some extent, define what you see and what you do not see, or what you hear and what you do not hear. The way you receive something has a lot to do with what you know. And so it is, it is possible right, to, to, um, to watch a movie, play a game, read a book as a Christian, which another Christian would be harmed by. It's possible. Uh, and Paul would say we shouldn't flaunt that in front of the one who would be harmed by it. But the one who would be harmed by it should also understand that that's a weakness on his part and that if he wants to grow stronger, he should allow the freedom of others to make the decision provided that it does not actually do harm to the world. Uh, and in that allowing of that freedom, we, we find peace, reconciliation, growth, and we preserve ourselves from making laws that have not been made. So I, I can't give you a law to this, right? I can tell you what I do. And is it perfect? No, of course not. Going to the mall is not perfect. I mean, you go to the mall, do you just never walk by Victoria's Secret? Just never walk by it. You walk by with your head to the left the whole time, it's over there the whole time? I mean, I, I, I try to keep my head straight forward. I talk to my wife. It's there. I know it's there. Even if I don't look, I know it's there. I mean, so if you think you're going to escape it, if you think you're going to escape it, um, you're lying to yourself and you're actually going to create a worse hell than the one that says, yep, there's Victoria's Secret. That kind of hurts. It hurts her. It hurts me. Actually, we have to go in there to buy something. But the pictures, they don't help me. But you know what? She's going to buy something. We're going to go home. We love each other. We're under grace. We'll walk through this fallen world together. I'm not going to wallow in the muck with those who have no hope, but I'm going to stand upon the ruin and confess that Christ has overcome. Right? So, this is everywhere. You're never going to escape it. So what are the tools you use to uh, boundary yourself from letting them push you into actual active sin? That's important. So if you find that every time you walk by Victoria's Secret at the mall, then that night you're out with a prostitute. Well, then don't go to the mall if that's your trigger, right? Uh, that's that's a reality, Okay. Uh, you could you could apply this to anything, by the way. Sex is the easy one to, to beat up on, but you know, alcohol, food, <laughs> um, ditching church. <laughs> you can apply <laughs> if you find. <laughs> I can't say it this way, but it's it's kind of true though. If you find that going to work on Wednesdays keeps you from going to midweek Advent services, then don't go to work on Wednesdays. 
That's not the answer. But if you find that you don't go to Advent services on Wednesdays because of the way that the workday ends, you could take an effort over the next year to find a way to make sure it doesn't happen quite the same next year. Maybe even going so far as to get those special personal hours that a lot of places give you. So you get out of work at three o'clock on those two Wednesdays, three Wednesdays of the year, and boom, there it is, right? Find your trigger. Find your trigger. And so if you got if you got negative triggers from movies, TV, books, any of that, um, you got to know what that is, discern what that trigger is, and remove the trigger. Okay? So th that'd be my first point. Like point one is uh, if it's a negative trigger that leads to actual physical behavior, then um, it's gone from head to mouth to hands, and in the hands is where the real um, harm comes to everybody else from your sin. Everything else is just in the head. Uh, well, the mouth is in the head too, but their head. So so with that then, what, what do I do? I, the, the second piece is to know your scriptures well, to know law and gospel well, to know the Ten Commandments well, to know the exhortations of Paul as to the kind of life, what kind of people ought we to be, to know that as well as you can know it and never stop learning that. Never stop learning also the covering of the blood of Jesus, the foundation that is so firm that you stand on it and can never fall, the, the rock on which your house is built when you are covered by the flesh and blood of Christ. Know that. And then Jiminy Cricket ain't so wrong at this point. Let your conscience be your guide. If it bothers your conscience, turn it off. Come on. If it's like, does this bother my conscience? I'm not sure. It should bother my conscience. Why does it bother my conscience? Oh, I think I know why. And yeah, I can work my way through that. I can ignore that. I can just move on and I can really enjoy the other 99% of this. Well, all right then. You used your theology to think. You used your faith to justify you not in you, but in Jesus, knowing that that 1% of evil is in Jesus. And you didn't throw out the good of the world because of your evil. That's a gray line, man. That's, how, that's, that's not a thin gray line. That's a giant gray line. It's a giant gray line. Um, so, you know, Mortal Kombat uh, is is pretty gory, for sure. Uh, I played it. I played the old versions. Um, I'm just not a fan of the two-person fighter. Uh, it's, it's dull to me. Um, I never did. Even as a kid, I was like, this is kind of gross. Um and like so, so I'm uh, I'm still playing Fallout. I'm gonna play Fallout till I die. Uh, uh, I turned off the blood spatter and the exploding heads, cause I just, I just don't need that. Um, but like, if someone's like, oh, I don't even notice it. Well, then you don't notice it. If you're like, man, I love it when their heads explode and pop. Well, there's actually two ways you could go into that too. It's like it's like a water balloon, cause it's not really a human. It's just a pixel, and so it's not really a human. Now someone will say, but it's the image of God. Said, well, yes. And the image of the devil because the, the image is tarnished now, right? Um, I'm not going to make a law about it. My conscience is in agreement enough with, uh, they're humans. I really don't want to watch their head explode. Uh, my conscience is bothered by that enough. I turn that off. But I'm not saying that someone could ignore it and or not be bothered by it because they know it's not real. 
right? And that's kind of the thing. A lot of this has to do with how much can you discern this is not real? How much is this is, is completely pretend? So for example, let's, let's take this. Let's say that you're playing chess, okay? You're playing chess. And you move, I don't even know it that well, right? Queen to rook seven, something like that, right? And like, what happens at that point? What happens to the rook when the queen moves and stands on the spot? That rook gets slaughtered. Oh, it's just capturing? Okay, sure, fine. Not in every version of chess I've seen, <laughs> uh, video game-wise and whatnot. There is a grand act of violence that takes place at that moment. Why does it not bother you? Because you ignore it. You don't think about it. So, uh, should we rejoice in the harm of humanity? Should we rejoice in the destruction of God's image? No, not at all. Uh, but I'm not going to draw a line beyond that. right? And then your conscience has to decide where is that. So, in Fallout. There are these things called ghouls. They're basically zombies, okay? So let's zombies. Uh, what is a zombie? Well, a zombie is an undead or a completely destroyed but still moving and animated human. The image of God. Completely wrecked. Should I never play a game, watch a movie, listen to a story when there's a zombie because the image of God has been tarnished? Well, that would be that would be challenging. And seemingly needless, to what end? And I would say on that, you're going to miss that the zombie is, in fact, the greatest modern analogy for original sin. It's exactly what we are. We are all zombies. You can't say that if you don't know what they are. <laughs> and if I say it to someone who doesn't know what they are, it doesn't help, right? Uh, so so part of it is knowing where you are. This is a little bit of a different topic. But my point was... Like, if it's everything that in any way infringes on the image of God, now, I mean, by the time you're done with this, this is, I don't know how to teach this. Other than by, um, that's good. Let's put this in here too. Other than by uh, experience. I mean, you either have to trust it and see it, or you have to go off and try your legalism and see how it works for you. By the time you're done, if you are honest as you're removing all the different ways that you are avoiding diminishing the image of God, by the time you're done, you are in utter despair because you can't do it. Or you're running around telling everybody else how they have to be like you in the way you're doing it. And you're not really seeing how you're still doing it. Right, so you either end up in pride or despair. Uh, you either end up as a hypocrite or someone who thinks you're a hypocrite and isn't. <laughs> uh, um, and so... So again, this is all out of the uh, you know, just the pure violence, say, of Mortal Kombat. Now, again, for me, I just don't I don't get anything out of that. I don't like horror movies either, right? And I know guys who I know Lutheran pastors who really love horror movies. They love the score, the scare, and they love the, even the the gory, weird, you know, pet cemetery stuff. And they would argue for why it's cool, and I, I just don't think it's cool, so I can't make that argument. Um, but I'm not going to be like sanctimonious and pretend that. Uh, Every single video game ever is is full of joyous goodness. And certainly not every movie. Any movie. Oftentimes the ones that pretend to be good are the worst. They got the, they got the worst lies buried underneath the, the cotton candy. And if you think you're going to escape this by reading books, the books do more damage in a lot of ways. Oh my goodness. Uh, how, how, how many Lord of the Rings stories are there? Well, the Lord of the Rings teaches a good story with a good more. Yeah, it does. How many of those are there? 
So you got to let your conscience founded upon Ten Commandments, Creed, Lord's Prayer, inform you of what you are able to handle at this moment as a free Christian living on this earth. And you flee from anything that damages your conscience in light of those things. And in freedom, you stand amongst the ruins of what you can bear. Huh? That'd be my answer to that. I don't know. It's tough. The legalist just doesn't want to hear this. They want to they wanna get rid of everything. And then you have people who are like, do whatever. No, that's not good either. Um, all right. Come on now. Why will you not open? There we go. Open. Um, oh, you couldn't even see that. Here we go. We're going to go to... It didn't work either. Because I have to go back to this. This is so weird. My but Oh. Here we go. Back to this. Do this. There we go. Yay. Rafisk, I've been a Lutheran about eight years. What are some of the books that deal with theology other than your two wonderful works, Echo and Broken? And the third, which is coming out, have you heard? Without Flesh, February. Brutal now. <laughs> God, I hate doing that. But you got to do it or no one buys it. No one bought Echo because we didn't promote it. We promoted Broken to Death and people complained about it and then it sold like hotcakes and it still does and it's doing good. Ugh, I hate selling stuff. Um, uh, what should lay people seek out? I read a lot, but I have a hard time getting into some of the heavier stuff. I've tried reading Law and Gospel. People are like, Maddox, I often give up. Yeah, I mean, they need editors. They just need to be, like, shrunk. Have you, for, with Law and Gospel, have you found, uh, go and look for God's No and God's Yes. Maybe it's God's Yes and God's No. It's an abridged version of Law and Gospel, and it still will be old, but it is going to be way easier than that big tomb that he tangents on. Those are notes people took while he was just talking like I am talking now. As a, as a, 700 page book right it's rough <laughs> um it's good stuff but it's rough god's known god yes has been edited peeper's dogmatics kind of needs the same thing just to pull it down luther needs it too uh, i read nonfiction for fun and learn about subjects but most of my readings have been about film lately i'm feeling guilty about yourself tell us why I, yes reading theology is good but don't pretend that loving the creation that god made and learning about it will not be informed by your faith and benefit your faith and uh then be used for the sake of your faith. So, um, I don't know about that. Um, all right, so so recommendations. Uh, years ago, there was a page, I think on the old website, that had all the books or some of the books I'd recommended over over all the videos I've done. And that's, that's all gone now. And so I, I really would need to give some time to this again. I've thought about it. I've thought about trying to create that page uh, on uh, redfist.com and all that. It's just a matter of time, which reminds me... Um, although I'm, I'm hopefully going to talk to one of you about this anyway, but, um, well, I'm going to wait. Um, I'll say that. I'll say that another time. Um, so, uh, it, and it's, I should have jotted down notes when I saw this before. Uh, off the cuff is a little tough to come up with enough of them. If you haven't found Jane V's Spirituality of the Cross, you just really should know that book. It, it should, it's, it's a fast read. It's an introduction. It might be a little bit too easy even uh, if, if you've been around for a while. And yet it is a refreshing, it's a refreshing read. Yeah. Um, uh, both of Wolf Mueller's books, Has American Christianity Failed and Martyr's Faith in a, in a, Messed Up World? I can't remember the title. Sorry. I want to say Dying World. I feel like the, what I wanted the title to be, they didn't title it. Um, uh, Martyr's Faith in a Dying World. Um, why is that still there? Hold on. Psh. Psh. These shouldn't be here anymore. Um, da -da -da -da. Uh, okay, so uh, uh, Matt Richard's book. I mean, there's, there's like a, not a flood, but there's like a small 
strong stream of stuff from the last eight years at CPH. So Matt Richards' book, uh, Real Jesus, Please Stand Up. You got um, uh, Jeff, uh, oh, come on now, Man Up. Uh, I can't think of Jeff's last name. Um, bearded Jeff. Uh, Hammer, there we go. Jeff Hammer's book, uh, Man Up, which really is not just for men. It's, it's, it's an excellent read. So, but... Uh, not everything is of the same caliber, so, you know, coming out of, of that stream. So, uh, let the reader understand. So, you do have to be a little careful, uh, but those those are good places to start. Uh, sadly, we don't have a preponderance, big word, we don't have a, a grand amount of educated devotional literature in the LCMS, in, in the Lutheran world, in the Lutheran proclamation. We have a lot of scholarship educated literature. We don't have a lot of educated devotional literature. And we have a lot of devotional literature, but a lot of it's not educated. And so, you know, if you're looking for something to feed you while also not being scholarship, it's it's tougher to, to recommend a lot. Um, I have a list uh, on paper, but it's not near me. Yeah, it's in my other ever book. Or it's, oh, I'd have to go digging on the computer to find it. Um, I thought, and I really thought I'd be able to say a few more things off off the cuff here, uh, and, I, and I'm not. Oh, so I think I'm going to back off and have to come back to this question. Golly, Jonathan. Hmm. What would I, it, right now, what would I recommend? So many of the things I want people to read are exactly what you're talking about. Like, they, they need abridged editing. And I have on my computer... Uh, a little folder where at least two of those projects have been started, but there's no way I can finish them. Uh, so if anybody has a publishing house they want to give me, please let me know. Because <laughs> we could do this. It could be done. But it takes money. It takes money. Uh, and more than you're going to give me on Patreon. But by the way, please continue to support on Patreon and I'll do what I can. Uh, but this takes a, a bigger arm uh, than, than this. So, all right. I still didn't really help you much. The one that keeps coming to mind for me is one that I don't want to recommend, but it is it is really a good and challenging read. Uh, it's called The Courage to be Protestant by David Wells, and it's not a Lutheran book. So what you have to do is you have to read the word Protestant as the word Lutheran, The Courage to be Lutheran, and then all the way through the book, just cross out Protestant and write Lutheran. And then the one page where he does the random sacramentarian thing, you just have to cross that page off and say, that was stupid of him to say. He should be talking about how the sacrament is the heart of the whole thing. And then you just kind of keep going right? uh, from that point on. Um, it's, it's a really good read, uh, especially if you want to understand the nature of present society uh, and our, our place in it. And in that regard, anything else that Veith wrote, so Veith's Spiritual of the Cross, I said earlier, you know, it was maybe too simple for some. I mean, that was on purpose. Most of his other works are pretty, pretty challenging, but not scholastic. Uh, although they get there, they get to scholastic. But his, uh, his, if you like, like, um, you've been reading a lot of film, you said, film stuff. So his book, The State of the Arts, is a tracking of art history and its devolution in conjunction with the fall of philosophy in Western Civ. And it's really a nice, a nice read. There's another book called Saving Leonardo, which is bigger with pictures by a lady named Nancy Piercy. Does a similar kind of thing. Uh, it's a nice coffee table book, but, but readable, definitely readable. Um, 
his book, Vith, again, uh, uh, Loving God with All Your Mind. I really enjoy that book. That's a very good book. Um, his book, uh, uh, Modern, is it Modern Fascism? Postmodern Fascism? He's got a book on fascism I haven't read and I should read. Uh, that I'm told is very good. So all of all of his stuff is is highly recommended. Uh, hmm. And I'll have to think more about that. I mean, my answer is we don't have enough that I can just throw you if you're looking for just pure devotional education. So like if there's a specific question with a specific need, that can be done, right? Um, but the uh, trying to hit the hole regularly... Portals of prayer. It's not going to feed you. It's not enough. It's not enough. All right. Um, let's see. What time is it? Game time. Whoop. 8.16. We don't got a lot of time left because I am going to have to leave at 8.30. Uh, let's see. I'm going to look at what you guys are saying here. Now you got some good stuff. Um, I, I really want to hit this other question because it's called, I think you should read this one stager. <laughs> So uh, for a little while, my daughter Anastasia was taking all of the questions you came and she was copying and pasting them and then titling them for me into a, and I would, I would only throw her ones that were supposed to be for this, uh, this, but titling them into a, a, a binder folder, a boulder, um, into a folder, uh, so I could find them. Yeah. And so that's what we're kind of pulling through here a little bit today. And so she left me a note that said, I think you should read this one. And her name is not Stasia. Her name is Anastasia. But her younger sinner, sinner her younger sister, Trinity, couldn't say Anastasia. She would say Stasia, Anastasia. And so Stasia kind of stuck as a name. So here we go. Uh, living the first article, a key figure that God used to bring me back a few years ago was a Seventh-day Adventist American guy, an ex-Kung Fu teacher, reconverted, what, from Kung Fu? Uh... To, to what? MMA? You know, uh, jujitsu? <laughs> um, only a few people might get that, but if you did, good for you. Uh, reconverted, now making videos, speaking across the U.S. against martial arts and meditation. I was doing Tai Chi at the time. <sighs> well, see, this is the this is the video game question from earlier. I can I can feel it coming. Like you can't you can't mo remove your trigger without saying everyone else has to remove it too, and you think you're gonna avoid you think you're gonna avoid the evil and sin by getting rid of this one thing. And if everyone else gets rid of this one thing, then we're safe. When it's not the one thing that's the problem. It's what we do with the one thing that's the problem. Sex is not the problem. It's what we do with sex that makes prostitution a problem. So, I can see it coming. We'll, we'll keep reading. Uh, after my reconversion, I stayed in touch with him for a while, receiving his newsletter. At some point, the newsletter mentioned dietary information that was prescribed and perceived to be law to be followed. Yes, Seventh-day Adventists, welcome to the standard American diet. That's a crazy story. Wish I'd talked more with uh, Whedon about that on a recent podcast. By the way, no one's mentioned that. I do a whole podcast on carnivore and no one's upset yet. I am flabbergasted. Uh, <laughs> um uh, I knew that it, uh, that was, again, St. Paul's clear teaching uh, about Sabbath, food, moon feast, good for you. Uh, but from a first article perspective, would dietary evaluation be important? Well, yeah. You don't want to drink cyanide, right? That's dietary evaluation. Uh, if so, how do you take it into consideration without falling into the legalism of the Seventh-day Adventists? Is good works are necessary, but not for salvation the key? Yes! Which is why rejecting meditation and martial arts off the cuff is... Not good works are necessary. It's good works are necessary for salvation. Mm. 
I emptied that. Why am I drinking out of that and holding that? Look, I have this. I emptied that into this. Why would I do that? What a, what a noob. What a maroon. Me. I'm the maroon. All right. So we just did a lot of this with the video game question. So it's not, it, this needs to be founded on what was said before. Okay. Not that Brian, you can clip this. That's fine. And put it out there if it's good. But add, like, go back and watch what I said before if you want the context, because it's really important. The first article requires of us faith. It's here. The danger with meditation is not meditation, but those who in their meditation come to the conclusion that they don't exist and it's not really here. By virtue of learning to, to, to marvel at the mystery of the created human body, they come to deny its existence. It's crazy. It's complete unbelief. The problem is not marveling at the mystery of the human body and the, the networked phenomenon of your mind and how you are not only your mind and there's more than your mind and how your body is at times capable of far more than you imagine. Because it's a gift from God, made in His image. None of those things are the problem. It's when we take those things and try to push them into the second article, into the realm of our salvation, that it's a problem. And whenever you say, I'm saved, therefore now I have to live this way or else, you've kind of still done that. Unless it is a clear prescription. right? So the Ten Commandments clearly prescribe, don't murder people. So you can't run around murdering people and you can't say, well, I didn't murder people. If I say that we're not going to murder people, then people are going to justify themselves and go to hell. No, 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 no. Where the word of God is said, don't do it, you can be really clear, don't do it. But the word of God is not said, do not focus on your breath as a means of stilling the mind. Right? It's just not in the Bible, right? So, so something else goes on when we as pagans, as unbelievers, take these things that are good. This is all Romans 1 and Romans 2. We take these things that are good and apart from God, try to use them to justify the present, to make the present experience salvific. And in doing that, then we end up in nihilism and destruction and death. Somehow, some way. We make these things into idols and the idols destroy us. So... That is the danger with, with martial arts, with meditation, with movies, with books, with driving on the road, with going to work, with having kids, with getting an education. It's everything has this danger of making an idol of it. You want to know what we idolize more than anything else in this country right now? Besides this country? <laughs> our kids. Holy crud. We, we idolize our kids so much we don't care how they turn out. Yeah, we're destroying our kids in more ways than one. One would be nutrition, probably. Not probably, for sure. The, the epidemic, I mean, this is not me making this up. This is not my opinion on carnivore. This is, this is evident science that the, uh, the astronomical, the even compounding rise of uh, obese children and type 2 diabetes is at an epidemic level. It's an outbreak, okay? We love our children so much. That's what we're doing to them. Nothing we can do. Uh, okay, sure. Uh, so, so the problem is, because it's already religious, 
as soon as you begin having the conversation, you're threatening the, their religion, someone else's religion, right? And so they, they react emotionally because they need to defend their self-justification. So it's very difficult to have a conversation that doesn't get into have to, not have to, because the other side is saying, you're saying I have to not. And we're generally, when we were first article, saying, no, I'm just talking about what reality is and what's wise and what's not wise in reality, but you actually can. And it will bring about a result, which has nothing to do with your salvation. <laughs> uh, it has to do with how well you believe in the saving God and can now look with clean eyes at the fallen first article world. So it's very difficult to have the conversation at all with someone because they, they want to make it religious. And you have to be like, no, <laughs> it, it is not religion. Whether or not you do martial arts or meditate or have a certain kind of diet has nothing to do with your religion. A Christian, when they do those things, will do them differently. They will do them freely. They will do them with the ability to see them for what they are, to call them what they are, to embrace them for what they are, and to reject them for what they are. That's the point of V's book I was just talking about, by the way, Loving God with All Your Mind. Go get that one, for Pete's sake. That one's good. We should be better at this stuff than the pagans. It's not worse. Because we can see the difference. We don't ever have to make it into our justifier. So... Your question, though, is, you know, is dietary evaluation important? I, I think that's just so funny to me. Hold on. We're going to go back to the other uh, the other version of the screen for the last five minutes here. Uh, I want to get a thing up this here. Oh, no, no, no. Come back here. Cancel. 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 There's a song that starts like that, isn't there? Uh, R. You got to watch me try to type in Dvorak. R. Dietary, oh, D-I-E-T-A-R-Y, was it? Dietary what? Dietary, R, dietary, where'd it go? Oh, this is great radio right now. Evaluation, R, dietary evaluation important. Let's get E-V-A-L, nope, L-U-A-T-I-O-N, uh, I-M-P-O-R-T-A-N-T, uh, question marks right there, yes. God, I'm getting better. Slowly, slowly, slowly. Oh, you probably didn't get to watch me do that because I turned off the screen. All right, so the reason I didn't go back and change the R is because I'm so slow at typing in Dvorak that would have taken like another 30 seconds. <laughs> so I didn't want to do it. Um, is dietary evaluation important for a Christian? So the way the question's formed, I made a joke about it earlier, but it really, it really shows you the... Um, the, the, what's the right word? Um, ab, ad absurdum, is that it? Yeah, uh, the argument ad absurdum, the absurdity of the question. So he, I, I, I hand you a bottle of cyanide. Drink it. Drink it. It's good for you. As a Christian, is dietary evaluation important at that moment? Of course it is. We do it all the time. Like, you're not going to put food in your mouth that's not food, at least not on purpose, right? Uh, you're not going to put milk in your gas tank. You're not going to plug your computer into your nose. Why? Because it's wrong? Because it's sinful? If you plug your computer into your nose, it's sinful. No! Because it doesn't work. Because the first article, while, while we are not pragmatists when it comes to justification, and we're definitely not pragmatists when it comes to 
the sanctifying regeneration of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of Jesus that leads to forgiveness, life, and salvation. We are not pragmatists about that. The fact is, the first article is pragmatic. It works. It is made by God to work. And you want to deny that, you're denying the God who made it. He didn't stop it from working. He put a few annoying quirks into it. Or, or did we just do that? Because we're the ones that are the head of it. And when we unbelieved, the earth had a natural reaction of death, sweat, thorns, pain, all that kind of stuff. How much of that is just the creation working the way it's supposed to? That when, when the creation doesn't have God, it's supposed to fall apart. <laughs> and so it's still working. Nothing that God does doesn't do what it's supposed to do. So the creation works. When we get into these issues of stewardship, then it's about believing that the fourth commandment, the created order, established in the identity of man and woman and child, but extended to all of creation by our hands and our bodies, connection with creation. As you are one with Jesus in flesh and blood via the sacrament, you are one with everything else via the dirt, via Adam being of the dirt. Extending into that reality the ability to see it, know it, know that it works, and apply it without it having to become about your salvation. It's simply about what's good and what's not good, not in a saving way, not in a moral way, but in a how-it-was-made way. And so you would evaluate something you're going to eat based on whether you're supposed to eat it. And by and large, I would advocate to you this has nothing to do with what the Bible says about food. Ever. Ever. There is no food prescription in the Bible except for that. There is no food prescription in the Bible. Peter on the roof in Joppa. Right? Before he goes to Joppa. Peter on the roof. Down comes a blanket. Pigs in a blanket. Look at that. It was hot dogs. No, it wasn't. It was a pig in a blanket with a bunch of other unclean things. And God said, eat all the unclean things. He's like, the squid? I have to eat the squid? Really? He's like, nothing I have made clean is unclean, Peter. Because it wasn't that Peter thought the squid was gross. Peter thought eating the squid would get him sent to hell. He thought that eating the pig was a moral issue. You know, like the vegans teach these days. <laughs> uh, he thought it was a moral issue. And God said, there's nothing in my religion that teaches what you eat as a matter of morality. Now, how you go about it, don't get me wrong, and, and don't, don't get me wrong on several levels, eating humans would be immoral. Uh, causing the most possible pain on the way to eating an animal, that would be immoral too. Destroying what you leave by, that would be immoral too. But the food itself is not immoral. It might not be good for you. And that's a different thing. So what the Bible says is that we are free. The whole point of Pigs in a Blanket in Joppa. <laughs> that's a good title too. Uh, the whole point of Pigs in a Blanket in China, in, in China, in Joppa, and the whole point of that is that we are free to engage the creation and discern its value as created order without thinking it impinges on our salvation. Our salvation is rooted on Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the fact that we cannot die because we are bound to him. So now we might engage freely able to be wrong, but also freely able to repent because we don't need to be right to be saved.
So in that, with this fourth commandment world of order and design that, that this built, is the glory of a king, Proverbs, is the glory of a king to search out what God has hidden or what God has designed. And so everything we do from God, right? First, second, third commandments are all God to you. Fourth commandment is you're now here in this place. Fifth commandment, you have a body. Now everything from there on out within the realm of, you know, get married to one person, don't tell lies, share stuff with other people and be content. Within that realm, it's it's on it's not on you. It's up to you to figure it out. Now the beauty of humanity is we can figure it out together. We don't have to like just make it up on your own. I mean, I did this recently. Rather than go and be smart about learning to do some workout, I was doing some workout uh, with a kettlebell uh, without reading or watching a book, and I didn't do anything too stupid, but I did enough stupid that like my shoulders just killing me, and now I can't do anything for a couple weeks probably. Because I was too dumb to just listen to somebody who knew. Yeah. The problem, of course, in an age of fake news is who knows, right? When you go look it up online, who knows what's true, who knows what's not true? How do you test your source? It's, it's pretty difficult. It's pretty difficult. But that doesn't mean it's not where we are. It doesn't mean you can't, you can't evaluate. You have to evaluate everything you do with your hands. And it should primarily not be a moral evaluation. Because as I was saying about the video games, your conscience should be telling you immediately if it's morally wrong according to the Ten Commandments. And you should be so entrenched in uh, the New Testament proclamation, what the texts of New Testament epistles say, that whether or not it's according to the Ten Commandments is evident, like, instantaneously to you. You don't have to think, does this connect to one of the commandments? Like, that's how you think is with those things. And then from there, the freedom to say, is this good for me, is this bad for me, across the board, not just food, uh, is... Well, it's, it's marvelous, but this is it. It's freedom. And it's freedom to look at the results of what happened and ask, do I want to do that again? Right? Uh, is it wise to do what I just did? I'll, I'll give you another example. Yay. This one hurt. So, I mean, I've been in ketosis. Um, I had been in ketosis uh, most of the summer, like since, since June. We talked about this in the in the podcast. You know, lost twenty pounds, twenty almost twenty five pounds, uh, better shape than I, uh, I I was when I was eighteen, uh, and I wasn't in bad shape. I was an athlete. Uh, it's 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 amazing. I, I I can't believe. I don't I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. So uh, don't have to worry about that. Go listen to the other podcasts if you want to hear hear carnivore talk. But a lot of it had to do with ketosis and the ketogenic diet, which carnivore is not the only way to do that. Um. And one of the, the ramifications of ketosis, is, which is what that means, is that rather than being glucosis, glucosis, rather than burning sugar primarily, you're burning fat. Fat's your your energy source. And when you need sugar, because your body does need a little sugar, your liver makes it from protein. So you need protein and sugar. Sorry, you need protein and fat. Uh, and your body is then burning the fat in general. And when you need the spike of sugar to run away from the lion, uh, your your liver makes it and then it pulls it back. As opposed to in glucocus, glucocus, your your liver's not making sugar. Your liver's trying to get rid of sugar because you're putting it in. And if you have too much sugar in your bloodstream, you die. That's what diabetes is. So the liver's trying to deal with it and get it out, right? And then the fat just kind of gets pushed into uh, storage because <laughs> you have nothing to do with it. Uh, so the idea behind ketosis is that you are not putting in sugar. You're putting in fat and proteins by and large. And so you're burning the fats and your liver's making the sugar when you need it. 
the the byproduct of this, you know, in the I should maybe back off. The connection of this is to like what happened to humans naturally when they were living in the winter and you couldn't get fruits and vegetables from the field and you had to survive just on whatever you'd stored and whatever beast you managed to kill. Amazingly, the byproduct for that time of year is heightened senses of awareness, intellect, and energy. And anyone who's been on ketosis is like, yep, this is this ain't this ain't a joke. Like like you're a notch up when it comes to sharp and when it comes to energy. Um, I found my sleep is also generally better, although blue light still hurts it to death. Um, so I've been in this state. I've been in ketosis since like June and then Thanksgiving. And I thought, I'll just take a day or two. Have a couple beers on Thanksgiving. Eat some cranberry sauce. A little pumpkin pudding my mom made. She was gracious enough not to put weed in it for me, but it was still, you know, sugar in the pumpkin. And, um, oh man, I got so sick. <laughs> uh, the, um, the night of, I mean, I, it all tasted great. It was amazing. It was a good afternoon. Really enjoyed it. And then about an hour later, I was lying on the wood floor, not sure if I was going to puke or not. And uh, went away in about half an hour. Then I wanted a drink, which is stupid. <laughs> what, what happened was I had too much sugar, right? I was like in sugar shock. Uh, and then my liver dealt with it. And my first is, so what happens when you get the insulin deals with the sugar, pulls it out, it meant drop low. Now I have no energy because I'm, I'm out of ketosis. I need more sugar. So I want a margarita. Um, oh, it's just and then, poof, poof, that, that cycle. That cycle. Anyhow, that's not why I'm telling you on any of this. All I'm going to want to tell you is that. It isn't even that. So I was, I was feeling great. I had Thanksgiving. I did what I did. I felt sick. That isn't even it. I didn't get back in ketosis till like yesterday. So it was like two weeks. Oh man, it's like two weeks of return depression, overtiredness, lack of zeal. Maybe you can't tell by watching, but but like I know it. I feel it. Lack of productivity. So, am I gonna do that again? Christmas? Am I going to give up two weeks of feeling great for three hours of a couple beers? No, I'm not going to. I'm going to evaluate the results of what happened and say, I don't want to do that again. And I know I'm going to want a beer. Oh man, beer's good. Beer's tasty. Oh, I love beer. I'm going to want a bad. I might even crack one and pour myself like this much, but that's the problem. Oh, it tastes so good. So, so, um, you evaluate based on what it did to you. How does it make you feel? Now we're in the realm of feelings. Your relationship with food, how does it make you feel? Your relationship with video games, how does it make you feel? Your relationship with movies, how does it make you feel? Your relationship with sleep, your relationship with work, how does it make you feel? What is, what is the result that comes from this? Stewardship is evaluating and then saying, am I making the best use of this body, this time, this world as a Christian with this result? Is this result the best use? It's not always about whether I like it or whether I feel happy either, by the way. But but if you're asking about diet, it, 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 there's a lot in there. If the food makes you sick, you shouldn't eat it. Duh, it's you know, allergy and all that stuff. So um, is it important? Yes, but it's not a religion. And the moment this infringes on our, our second article, we are in grand jeopardy, which is what the Seventh-day Adventists have been doing from the start, by the way. So before we're done, let me go ahead and recommend, if you're interested more, go, go to Amazon.com and purchase for six bucks the Fat Documentary. 
the history of fat and eating it and rejecting eating it in the U.S. and marvel, marvel uh, that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has been the directors of American nutrition for a long time. Wicked scary kind of stuff, man. It's just, it's just nuts. Absolutely nuts. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's more info on that out there, but it's just absolutely nuts. Is dietary evaluation important? Evaluating your life's important. Evaluating what you do with your hands is important. Not because it's going to save you. Not because it's going to make you a Christian, make you not a Christian. But as a Christian, you love your neighbor now, right? You want to. Even if you don't, you're like, I don't like them, but I should forgive them. You're right. That's Christianity, is knowing that and wanting that. So you can look at what you do and acknowledge the results and be freed from having to ask, was it right, was it wrong? You can just ask, should I do it again? And answer the question based on what were the results. If it hurts somebody, don't do it again. <laughs> if it hurt you, don't do it again. Huh? Try to find a reconciliation in the middle of that whole thing. That's stewardship. Which is, yeah, we always do it like it's about money. Money is a part of it, by the way. Is financial evaluation important? Oh, I did it backwards. Is, is financial evaluation important? Uh, can I do it? Is financial evaluation? Nope, other way. Is financial evaluation important? Yes. Don't tell the IRS. Ah, no, actually, they know. Don't tell the government. <laughs> that could really be taken out of context. What I meant by that IRS was that our country's in a grand amount of debt. So much debt that it's terrifying. I should have said, don't tell the... Uh, uh, who are they called now? The Fed. Don't tell the Fed. Don't tell the Fed. <laughs> You're not allowed to audit the Fed. You're not. You can't. They try to kill you if you do. Well, maybe not. But they certainly ostracize you. All right, everybody. I got to go do what I got to go do. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, this, by the way, when you go look for the Fed documentary, make sure you get the right one and not the one that's the movie, uh, which is free. Ugh, this is weird. Um, and... Ah, uh, Scott. Ah, <laughs> uh, Google it. It's weird, but I'm right. <laughs> uh, uh, my, my mom did this to me at Thanksgiving dinner. Of, of all the things, right? Uh, it's, it's Dvorak. The keyboard is Dvorak. The guy who created it is Dvorak. I don't know, but that's history. That's what the dictionary says. So, there we go. Uh, oh, the fat doctor was on Prime for free? Oh, it wasn't when I did it. So, yeah, go watch it for free. Uh, and I got to go. I got to go. I gotta go. Yeah, I gotta go. You guys rock. We will catch you on the other side. Don't wallow in the muck.